Hello, and welcome to another edition of The Main Question, a podcast series from the University of Maine. I'm your host, Ron Liznett. In this episode, we'll talk about a subject that everybody could get excited about, some of our favorite things to eat and drink, more specifically, the food and beverage industry in Maine. Everything from small specialty food businesses making a salsa or a sauce in a home-based facility to larger, traditional companies making and selling some of Maine's well-known products, lobsters, potatoes, or blueberries. So how does one get started creating and selling a product? It's one thing to have a great idea for a delicious food product or a unique beverage, but that's just a starting point. There's licensing, developing a facility, food safety, supply chain, storage. Beyond that, there's challenges that any business must face, like shipping, marketing, or staff development. Jason Bolton, a food safety specialist from Humane Cooperative Extension, has been the go-to guy for the vast majority of food and beverage companies in Maine when they need to face these challenges. He's advised businesses of all shapes and sizes, particularly ones that work with lobsters and Maine's rapidly growing craft beer and distillery industry. He also helps direct the Innovation Engineering Program at UMaine, which helps students learn how to create, communicate, and commercialize, or otherwise realize, meaningfully unique ideas, no matter what their field of study is. So a history major can also get a minor in Innovation Engineering, for example. We talked about that work helping develop companies, what makes the main brand special when it comes to specialty food businesses, and how this all fits into the bigger picture of innovation in the state of Maine. Jason shares with us the main question to help frame our discussion. What are the challenges and opportunities of running a food business in Maine? Welcome. Thanks for taking some time with us. Thanks for having me here. We can start in a lot of places, but maybe just talk a little bit about the food and beverage business in Maine. How big is it? If you had to sort of define the landscape of what that looks like, what would you say? Well, I, I'm trying to remember the exact numbers, but um, another faculty member with an extension, Dr. Jim McConnell, has actually done that to look at small businesses and broken down those in size and number of employees. But I want to say there was a number that he that he told us somewhere around 500, and that's of various sizes and so forth. And that number is growing every year. The food scene in Maine is really exciting, not only from the food service restaurant point of view, but also from the commercial manufacturing and cottage food industry in Maine. So that's it's, it's really neat to see these different companies come up with different ideas or the same idea with a different, you know, spin on them. So that's been really fun to kind of um, see those in action. Talk about Maine's reputation or the Maine brand. Well, I think it's the idea of quality, uh, getting back to the, to the, the grounds with their, where they're produced and farms and things of that nature. There's this kind of mystique that goes along with Maine as an entity, you know, as a state and visiting Maine and nature and so forth. And I think that definitely translates those same themes within the food industry, um, you know, getting back to earth and so forth and high quality products and, and then people that are producing thing that re- things that really, where they really care about what they're doing. Is the main brand, is it well known out in the country or, or, or beyond? I, th- I think it is, is known. I don't know how well known. It's definitely well known within England, uh, New England, I should say, uh, maybe England too, but, um, but within New England. But Outside, yes, there's, you know, we're known for certain things, obviously. Some of our tiny little cottage food companies, maybe not, but we're known for lobster, we're known for blueberries, potatoes, and those bigger commodities, along with the value-added products associated with that. One thing that I think is interesting um, outside of, let's say, commercial food manufacturing is this idea of these food trucks that are offering lobster rolls or lobster bisque or lobster chowder or lobster macaroni cheese or whatever it may be, 
we have companies in Maine, you know, cousin, or I should say Luke's Lobster, Cousin's Lobster, and a few others. But now we're seeing these pop-ups of these Maine Lobster rolls and stuff like that all over the country. Uh, and uh, I had some family that live in Arizona, and they were telling me about you know, the absorbent lobster roll prices that they're getting in Arizona, you know, something like $35 for a roll, and there's a line of 400 people behind this truck when it opens up. So, I mean, that says something about the main lobster industry um, and how that's kind of spreading. So talk about what it is you do for these companies. When, they, when the phone rings, what, I mean, how, how are you able to help them? That it's a it's a long list. Uh, it, it continues to grow. But you know, if I was going to categorize it, it's it's food safety. So if they're if they're trying to figure out how to produce a product, what are the regulatory requirements of producing that product, we help them out with that. Um, it could be product development. It could be I want to design a new facility or a small kitchen to produce my product. Um, what do I need in order to get that going? What are the regulatory requirements? And then also, what are the best practices? And then on the kind of the reverse side, if it's not a one-on-one thing, it's what courses can I take within the extension programs or program? What courses can I take to educate myself better? Or what do I have to take as a regulatory requirement? Um, so we have kind of both of those things that we do. Uh, and, and, and then it kind of goes on. You know, we have folks that have trouble sourcing ingredients or finding the right ingredient or extending shelf life of a product or where do I get shelf life testing done? Um, so there's, there's this large array of things that we do. That's just uh, a kind of a, a, a little slice of what we do. And just talk about the extension courses. I'm not sure many people are aware that there's a whole curriculum out there. If, if somebody wants to start a food business, that they have a place they can go to, to learn. Absolutely. So we've, we've been in this kind of industry, helping the food industry for a long time, and our programs have grown. Um, so we, we offer things like um, some food safety and regulatory requirement courses. These, a lot of these courses are around, um, for example, in the FDA or the USDA. If you want to get into certain industries like seafood or meat and poultry uh, or now produce and other aspects, you have to actually go through a certificate, uh, receive a certificate of completion to these educational programs. So they include things like HACCP, which is Hazard Analysis Critical Control Point, acronym that basically says you have to come up with a food safety plan to, to, to make sure that the food you're producing is truly safe and that you understand the hazards associated with producing that food. Um, and so we offer those courses and we offer uh, one-on-one help, you know, when they're developing some of these food safety plans, when they have questions along the way or they don't understand some of the science or in some cases maybe they need research performed in order to prove what they're doing is safe. Um, and so we kind of walk them through all of that. We taught a course uh, yesterday, for example, and it was all about seafood processing. And so we had 20 people in a room to learn about seafood processing and, and understand how to do it safely. Um, and these courses continue to fill up, you know, every, every time we offer them. So that's kind of exciting. And we have some grants and things like that to help subsidize some of the new rules that are coming out of the Food Safety Modernization Act. Um, including the, the farmers that are getting involved with producing produce. They now fall under, a lot of them fall under this rule. So we're trying to get them up to speed, and we have a partnership with Department of Agriculture to help support that education. In addition to, if I want to start a specialty food business, what are the steps that I need to go through? So we have a Recipe to Mark series um, that we offer to help people you know, understand idea to, to final product. Uh, years ago, I mean, uh, I'm sure there were many businesses uh, just in someone's kitchen table. They're picking crabs or whatever down east. Uh, but so that that's uh, not really the way it's done anymore. I mean, it, like, you're talking about 
things are being standardized and safety is, um, you know, brought into every step of the process. Absolutely. And there's this idea that, you know, and this is what the Food Safety Modernization Act kind of brought to the table. Food Safety Modernization Act is also called FISMA. What that brought to the table is really the, if you're going to summarize the rule, it's you have to know what you're doing in order to protect uh, the people that are consuming the food. You know, because when it comes down to it, you might be producing a, a high-risk product or a low-risk product, but resulting is you don't know exactly who's going to be eating it. It could be a small child, it could be uh, someone who's immune compromised, um, or it could be a healthy adult. But you don't know, and so how do you, how do you become knowledgeable about what you're doing so it's safe? You talked about so many steps in the process, and I, I just listed some here. So you have to come up with the idea first. Yeah. Licensing, facility, safety, supply chain, storage, shipping, marketing your product, training your employees. Mm-hmm. Of all those, is there anyone that's the most challenging or the most difficult to hurdle to clear? They all cost in the way of time or money. So when you're starting a specialty food business or you're starting a business in general, those are all things that weigh in, obviously. I think what some people would argue is is some of the more costly aspects of it are the facility itself. And so not having access to a shared facility to start to kind of do as, as we will get into later about innovation engineering, you do that fail fast, fail cheap, is this going to work without investing a lot of money? Um, not having a shared use facility or access to that could be a big hurdle. Uh, so that means then you're trying to convert, you know, it could be a garage at your house, it could be uh, build a brand new building or some, something along those lines in order to test uh, certain things out. And there are a couple shared use facilities in Maine, but that is that is a limitation in the state. Two uh, sectors of this uh, economy, um, one sort of iconic and one relatively new, lobster processing. I know, I mean, Maine is known for lobsters since since day one, and that certainly has to be a big business. But then the whole craft brewery, craft beer, craft liqueurs, what, whatever you want to say, that seems relatively new. I saw one figure, um, 2016 craft beer industry, $228 million. I imagine that's bigger now. But um, just talk about comparing and contrasting some of the old traditional things, potatoes, lobsters, blueberries, and, and some of the new things that are out there. Well, I have to say that um, I haven't heard of it yet, but no one's combining the lobster beer thing. But we do have we do have potatoes and beer. I know we've worked, um, and I say we, the Cooperative Extension and uh, University of Maine have worked with several breweries and, and breweries that are incorporating some of those ingredients into their food, pr- into their beer products, including Andy Gagan, who's done a potato-based beer, for example. Um, yeah, I mean, we have two very different industries, but also in the same sense, you know, growing, um, and, and, you know, in some aspects they need support. Uh, so some of the things that we've been able to provide is some aspects of employee training, um, especially with FISMA coming about, breweries are not excluded completely from that rule. So they still produce a product that people consume and people could get hurt as a result of eating. It's a very low-risk food product, but it's understanding of what they're doing and how to protect, you know, consumer health. Um, And so we've done some trainings around sanitation um, for employees and understanding what they're doing and some of the risks associated with chemicals that are in their facility and stuff like that. And then on on the lobster side, now you talk about a food that is a high risk in a lot of cases if it's a ready-to-eat cooked product where the consumer can open up a package and consume it. So they have to understand, and they, you know, most of the companies I work with send a lot of their employees to our trainings to understand, you know, how do they translate that knowledge around sanitation and, and risk to their employees so the employees then know we're doing this and we're doing it for this reason in order to protect the food. So you talked a lot about setup and safety. How about on the, the 
the product development side. Um, are, do you do a lot of either tweaking someone else's creation or enhancing a flavor or even, you know, developing something from scratch? Is that all in the in the arsenal there? It is. Um, you know, not on a regular basis, and it depends upon what they need. If it's little things, then we can help out pretty easily. If it's a massive creation from ground zero, we can answer questions, you know, what do you think of this or that? But trying to create it from ground Ground zero is, is difficult. However, I have been, you know, I have participated in that one time when, you know, times allotted for it. Um, an example of that is working with Maincraft Distillery. We helped them early on with some not only um, liquor development in their distillation process and so forth, but also with some of their canned cocktails. And Luke Davison has become a, a close friend and, and colleague, and it's been really fun to see what they've created from kind of those basis. Um, so that's just one example. But, you know, popcorn companies and dried camping food companies and all kinds of stuff like that, it's been fun to help out with some aspects of those things. When the phone rings, you have to be prepared, I'm sure. Uh, talk about some of the more interesting requests or calls that you fielded. Oh, gosh. You know, we, we joke about this because there's a few of us that are uh, in this kind of food safety world for the commercial industry and also for home, uh, for consumers. Uh, there's, there's a whole lot of them. And one of the ones that comes to mind is we always say um, never use your animals as a test to see if the food's face. Uh, and we, we re I remember when we were training a new faculty member to, you know, what type of calls you could get. We happened to run into one where someone was saying, well, it didn't make my dog sick, so I should be okay. And I, I said, well, Isn't let's not, true? yeah, let's not, yeah, let's right. not use that as our, right. let's not use the dog as the canary by any means, or the canary as the canary. So, um, you know, that we've had some weird ones like that, or people finding very old, you know, 10, 20 year old products. Is this still safe to eat? And, you know, in most cases, I should say all cases, it was a no, but uh, yeah, we had one person, I remember they, they said that they had lost a large block of cheese, but found it the next year. It was in a cupboard. Um, and they wanted to know how much of the fuzzy stuff they were supposed to cut off. And we just said, you should throw it away. <laughs> wow. You have to be uh, re ready with a with an answer and not not to And no judgment. No judgment. Right. You know, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about food science here at UMaine. We obviously um, have that as a program, food science, human nutrition. So we're training uh, students for the industry. But it goes beyond that. There's a test kitchen. There's a lab to help people develop products. Talk about what's going on here on campus. Well, we have a, a wonderful food science program. Um, students get an incredible experience around hands-on training, internships, um, the ability to participate in other academic programs. But it, this program really prepares them for the food industry. And, and, and it could be small, you know, food companies, startup companies. Or it could be a large company that they're working for. So that's kind of exciting. Uh, and I have quite a few students that I've been working with over the last, you know, several years that it's neat to see where they are now. Um, and I can learn stuff from them. You know, it's now they become a specialist in a specific industry, and I can call them saying, hey, I have a small company that's starting something. What do you know about this? So now they become the educator, which is kind of neat to see that cycle. And then on top of that, what they have access to is – our pilot facility where we have a new pilot plant director um, who's doing some really neat work around product development. Um, our test kitchen where we can do uh, some amount of commercial processing or, or scale up for small companies. It is limited and then we also have a, a really wonderful sensory facility run by Dr. Mary Ellen Kamari who does um, testing of those food products in a consumer base to see new food products, new varieties of vegetables, all kinds of things. They can, they can learn what the consumer, how they perceive that product. Uh, so we have these wonderful facilities and, and labs and things like that. And, and the food science program is a very kind of interdisciplinary program, so we have wonderful connections with other units on campus. 
for folks out there that want to start a business, can they access these facilities? Absolutely. They, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be a contact or there's a number of faculty and or staff, um, including our new pilot plant director, Rob Dumas, uh, who, who would be happy to help them out. And then my other colleagues within Cooperative Extension. So much of this work falls under the heading of product innovation, and that is the other hat you wear, that you are running the Innovation Engineering Program here at UMaine. Talk about that and, uh, and what that program is about and, and how this might dovetail into that. It's, it's much more than food and beverages, sure. obviously. Yeah, we, we, we kind of label it as a transdisciplinary degree. That, that um, degree program, or I should say that it's a minor for undergraduates and a certificate for graduate students, but it's a program that reaches across multiple disciplines and invites students from multiple disciplines uh, and industry to participate. And the idea behind it is it teaches students problem solving um, through kind of hands-on experiences. Uh, And so it's a really neat program where we teach students how to create solutions to problems, in some cases even identify problems to then create solutions to them, how to effectively communicate those solutions, um, the commercialization potential. So it doesn't always have to be something you're selling. It could be something that you have an idea and you want to see, could it help someone? Uh, If you're working for a nonprofit, how many people can you reach for it could be some aspect of um, philanthropy related to donations back to that company, or how many people could you affect by this by doing this? And then some we we have another course that's systems, bringing things together, project management, stuff like that. So it's a really neat transdisciplinary program, really focused on helping students problem solve. But we it's great. I teach a couple of the courses, and we have students from business and engineering and uh, the sciences and humanities and all kinds of stuff. So it's it's neat to see also those students interact together because. The courses truly force students to communicate with each other and come up with solutions to problems. Uh, is this program unique in the country? I mean, and it's, so it's a, you could be a history major and still have a minor in innovation engineering, two things you wouldn't go together. But how, how unique is this program? This, the way we've kind of paired everything, and, and, and our, we have an industry partner, Eureka Ranch, who teaches industry courses around this. I mean, Fortune 500 and 100 companies go to get this training. So that aspect of it is very unique. I mean, there are other programs around innovation um, throughout the country, but we're the only ones with this innovation engineering. And it is a systems approach to, inno- to innovation, you know, that step one, try this, step two, try that, much like an engineering program. So we're not an engineering program, even though the name kind of speaks to that. It's because of the systems thinking that we, we use that engineering terminology. Um, and and I, I think that aspect of it makes it very unique. So, and that tie to industry. How important are new innovations, tech, startups to the main economy right now? And is it going to grow? Yeah, I mean, I would assume so. And I, that aspect of innovation, you know, we have to continue to innovate in the state in order to be to stay relevant. And that's any business, of course. You know, do the same thing over and over again. I always say that's the reason why, you know, Cheerios has so many different flavors. Or, you know, we look at food products. There's, a, there's quite a few different types of potato chips and things like that. So it's that innovate to stay rele- relevant, but also still true to your core, that kind of base. Um, and I think it is important for Maine to innovate. And I think we're, we're starting to really do so. And I think it's, it's exciting to see where we're going to go, whether it be biomedical research um, or the food industry or agriculture or tourism or, or any of our, um, the health industry, where we might go with those industries. Now, I know you were involved um, in some of your academic work on taking, um, was it blood from lobsters and, and, and making... Um potential medicines out of that? Is that sort of an example of what we're talking about? Yeah, and, and actually the, the faculty member that was involved with that when I was a student a while ago has now created a company. He's an emeritus, um, and he has a, a couple post, uh, or say graduates of, of University of Maine that are now working f- to move that product forward, which is kind of exciting. So Lobster RX is the company, and 
It's the identification of something that was thrown away, a, a, a product that was thrown away in the lobster industry, the lobster blood, and now utilizing it to create some, um, you know, I don't want to necessarily call them medicines, but something that could help human health. Is Maine set up and favorable for these specialty food companies and beverage companies? I mean, in, in general, is this a good place to to try to create uh, some of these entities? I would say yes. And, that, you know, it's not only padding us at Cooperative Extension or the University of Maine on the bat because they, they have those resources and, the, and we try to keep costs low for uh, or no costs associated with certain things. Um, so not only that, but also the small business outreach that we have here at the University of Maine, within the Maine Business School even, um, Cooperative Extension and all the programs they offer related to even ag uh, or 4-H youth development, you know, all of those resources on top of the fact that we have a wonderful Department of Agriculture, Conservation and Forestry that works really hard to not only regulate but help educate. And so we work with them closely on just about every educational program for the food industry that we offer. Uh, and that symbiotic relationship of all those things make it a pretty favorable place, especially if you don't know something, to go get that resource or be educated about it. So I always like to ask this question, but just looking out five to ten years, trends or what you what you think might happen realistically, wh- what do you see? Where how will this grow? How will this change and evolve? Mm. Well, um, I think we'll see additional products um, being developed in Maine, and I think we'll see Maine kind of, I, I would assume, go into some really new industries. Um, and but I also think that the staples that we have, you know, those will be will continue to innovate. But I think we're going to see some of those staples grow, um, and you know that includes lobster and things like that. But also some of our now established companies that we're seeing, you know, who weren't so established five years ago, but now they're really growing. Uh, and I think the brewing industry will continue to grow as long as there's a consumer demand for getting going down the street and getting that local pint of um, you know craft beer or distillate or whatever it may be. If someone could figure out how to combine lobsters, potatoes, and blueberries, they'd, they'd have a gold mine, right? Yeah, exactly. Maybe, you know, maybe it's that next um, pre-prepared meal that we need. Or we, just, we isolate those in the best forms. Well, thank, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. It's been great. Thank you for having me. Thanks once again for joining us. You can find this and all of our podcasts in many of the places that podcasts are available. iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify. We welcome your feedback on this show and our entire series. Drop us a line at mainquestion at maine.edu. This is Ron Lisnett. We'll catch you next time on The Main Question. <laughs>